Welcome to the 104 Podcast. Yeah. I'm your host, co-host, Aaron Vijegas. Um, on the other side is uh, someone I need to get going, so we're going to put him on Connor's wing. <laughs> Elliot Tanti. How are you doing, Elliot? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. We're recording uh, on a wonderful spring day. Yeah, it's beautiful out. It's beautiful outside. Finds like, knock on wood. Maybe we've turned the corner on winter. <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> Turn the corner on winter. I said I that. Love- I said that this weekend to someone, and they said, "No, there we still got one more minus thirty in us for sure." And I, I like, that's no. how I feel. That's how I feel. I'm like, it's coming. It's coming. Maybe it's the 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 pessimist in me right now, and I feel like maybe this. <laughs> Maybe this season has turned me into a pessimist. But how could you be a pessimist after the week that we've just had? Yeah, we have a good week. Elliot, let's do the roundup. All right, so this week the Edmonton Oilers had three great games. First one versus Arizona. The Oilers, well, they gave up a two-goal lead again, but they won it in the overtime with uh, a nice goal from Oscar Clefbaum, who uh, was needed, been, needed that. Needed that. Needed that. I, think, I think there's a couple players this week that got some monkeys mm-hmm. off their back, and I think that one was really important for him as well, too. Um, man, the Oilers are cool in the overtime, hey? They are oh, really so they dangerous and so fun. good in the overtime. They- it's like, I'm ready to start making the argument that they should just play three on three all the time. Man, seeing <laughs> McDavid, Drysaddle, and Clefbaum on the overtime just makes me giggle. Like, oh, it's yeah, so good. This is Nurse from nurse the back too? end, too. Yeah, oh, it's so good. There's lots of speed there. Yeah. Um, then we followed that game up with, you know, one of, we talked about last week, but that was Jordan Everly's homecoming to Edmonton against the New York Islanders. Kind of a boring game, one in which Talbot kept the Edmonton Oilers in it, I thought. Uh, you know, one nothing for most of the game. Oilers get a goal, tie it up pretty late in the game, and then yeah. take it over in a shootout with one of the sickest shootout moves I've ever seen uh, from Connor McDavid. Uh, so good, yeah, so good. I think it's funny if you see that replay on him uh, doing the doing the shootout. If you watch uh, the goalie's leg, I forget what it is, but they're like just jumping around. They're just jumping around because they have no idea what's going what's on, and all of a sudden he's on the floor and the puck was in the net. I was like, that was amazing. <laughs> and you know what was funny? Because like the good players, when something doesn't go right for them, you see they just like want to come back and they all have success when they come back. Totally, he, he missed this, the the chance to win the game with the shootout uh, or in the in the penalty with the penalty, penalty shot. shot. Yeah. Overtime, missed that, and then was the final shooter for Edmonton and won them the game. So that was wicked. Love and it. then finally, like you know, very old Oilers Minnesota win. Uh, you know, four one. It was sort of the game never really seemed to be in doubt. They always just played sort of a strong two way game, and they had better offensive stars on their team, and those stars showed up. Although Dubnik really laid an egg. That room was like old Dubnik time. That, that was <laughs> they for gave me some nostalgic memories. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's what we were talking before. We're like, oh, yeah, that's the Dubnik I know. Yeah. Not this Besna winning goaltender. We we don't know that goaltender. <laughs> Tweet of the week, though, was definitely, I think it was Mark Majot. I could be wrong. Was, I, I mentioned this before. That yeah. I feel like Dubnik Dubnik owes us a goal from center ice. <laughs> and like I said, we we kind of got it. Like, yeah. that, that dry saddle goal was like, it, it was a wicked shot by dry saddle, but he was just standing there. <laughs> The nice thing about that game is that I think it sh- 
it showed me as a fan the Oilers still have that team and have that capability. So there's lots of excitement going into next year. Um, coming up this week, they've got the old Calgary-Edmonton Battle of Alberta. Uh, that's going to be an interesting one on Tuesday. The Oilers are then back-to-back and have to go Wednesday against San Jose. San Jose still right in the thick of it for the playoffs. So that's going to be a tough, tough game. That's tough. they got to go to Calgary. Oh, that's to Edmonton. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. And then they close up the week Saturday with a game uh, in Florida against Roberto Luongo and the Florida Panthers, who I think are also in the playoff hunt right now, too. Oh, and sure that'll are. be our opportunity to see... Um, no one. Never mind. <laughs> Don't worry about it. <laughs> See, Alexander Barkov. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. That's Vincent right. Trocek. <laughs> yeah, armor, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Can you talk about Calgary too? It's like, oh, we see Yager. No, we won't see Yager in that one either. No, no. <laughs> It'll be interesting with the Calgary game because the Calgary is in the playoff hunt. Florida's also in the playoff hunt. If Edmonton beats Calgary on Tuesday, then... They will finish another season sweep of the Calgary Flames. Uh, that would be two seasons in a row where they, where Edmonton would sweep the Calgary Flames. And last Flames. season was the first year that they ever did it, right? Yes. So that would be fantastic. There's your roundup. Okay, so uh, this was a 3-0 and week. So uh, do you remember what you predicted? I don't remember what we predicted. Uh, I think I said one and two or something like that. Yeah. I don't think anyone predicted a three and zero. I think we had the others had a really good week. So for us, it was really tough to um, find out who was the more challenging player, the players that required that were the most challenging to watch, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but so <clears throat> we picked a couple of people that I thought were not in the sense that they they gave up some terrible mistakes. I think there were some people that gave up some terrible mistakes, but we just I don't I don't feel like picking on them. So we we're picking on some people that were kind of more invisible. So who did you pick was a, one of, one a, challenge, a challenging to watch player? I think, you know, anytime you give up a, a, a lead late, uh, you got to look at your defense and your defensive responsibility. And the back end has not been great all year. And uh, Andre Sekra is clearly still at 80% or 85% after after that knee injury. They He clearly rushed back and the team needed him and they were in some trouble. And I understand as to why. Um, but he is not he, – he, he's, he's just – He's just a player with the most challenges right now because he's, you know what, he's he's hurt still, and it's hard to get back. It's, it, you know, to, former players talked about this all the time. It, the hardest thing to do is join halfway through a season from an injury. Mm-hmm. It's much easier to be out. Maybe you play in the beginning and then you're out for a long period of time, and then you come back. But to join halfway through, you, you feel like you're always catching up. And I feel like Andre Sekra is always playing catch up on the ice. So I know, which is really sad because Sekra it was uh, one of the better defenders last year. Um, and I thought was a valuable pickup for the Oilers two years ago, even more. I think it was maybe three years ago. Um, but at the same time, like he he was definitely a dependable defenseman, uh, and he's has not got his foot back in, into play. Yeah, I really agree with you. And I'm, my fear is that this is the future that we're going to see at Andre Sekar. I don't think that that's fair to make that de- determination yet, because obviously he's joined halfway through. Um, but he's one player that I'm really hoping is able to get back to game shape and ready for next year because his presence his his um you know just the demeanor uh Mm -hmm. and you know he scored he was pretty offensive last year too that's that that is really important for the m to know if they're going to have success like they did last year as composed as opposed to this year yeah no i totally agree i totally agree and another player i guess that 
that kind of needs to step up a little bit. He was doing well at the start of the week, and I think maybe he kind of dropped down. Um, he plays a very defense, like dependable fourth line role, but I think like um, other people have kind of stepped over him, and I think that's Zach Cassian. Um, Zach Cassian plays a specific type of role now for the Oilers, um, yeah. but he was kind of invisible for the most part. Do you feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's important that we note this because in relation to last week, we were talking about stepping standing up for your teammates being tough uh, to play against. Mm-hmm. And because Lucic has had the season that he has, he gets a lot of that criticism. A lot of that conversation gets uh, it, it relates to him from the city and from crit- crit- uh, critics. But Zach Cassian has to play that role too and has right. to do those sorts of things as well. Now, he's had a little bit of bad luck in terms of puck luck. He's missed some breakaways that you know change, help your confidence, maybe change the way that you feel. But I'm not seeing him as that engaged, scary character the same way that no. we did Lucic and him last year. No. And remember, like, last year that you had three guys. You had a guy basically on every line who was going to pound your face in if you yep. did anything. It was Maroon, it was Zach Cassie, and it was Milan Lucic. And that was really successful for the Edmonton Oilers. And, you know, Maroon and Lucic, we've talked about enough. I think Cassian has a, takes a piece of that, too. It's something to think about. I agree. And I think um... – in the, I think you saw it in the game against Minnesota, specifically how slow Hughes has become. I think there's two instances where it was kind of noteworthy. That specific, uh, there was a penalty kill, uh, which he's been out, which by the way, the penalty kill has been pretty good in the last few games. They were running at a 93% rate, I think, which is pretty high. Um, but Zach Cassian and Jujar Kaira were on a two-on-one. But you saw how slow Zach Cassian was, and uh, and there was no pass to, to Kyra, so Zach Cassian was, had to shoot on that two on one. Uh, but he was a slow shot, and it was a slow process. And I asked, like, I was I was watching the game uh, with my fiance, and, and I was like, I think he's tired. I think he needs. I think he was at the end of his shift, but he wasn't. He had, he like ran back into his cover, and I was like, no, that can't be like the start. That that's not his his speed. That's really weird. Um, the other instance was the the Cal Clutterbuck thing that happened against the New York Islanders. Uh, I think Clutterbuck like targeted one of her players. I don't remember who it was. I think it was Benning, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, and Dujar Cairo was the one who answered the bell against Clutterbuck. Um, that's a role that second and beat him up. <laughs> it was a one-sided fight. Yeah. It was not not that we necessarily condone that. No. We gotta have the fighting conversation at some point. But yeah, he beat we him will up. have the fight. And but Clutterbuck was... is not someone that you beat up. No, it was it was a bad fight for Clutterbuck. But at the same time, that's a role that Sackassian used to play. That's the role that Sackassian was the one on the fourth line. But the one that the person who uh, stepped up to the plate was uh, was JJ. And and I think. And I'm seeing that case like that Kyra is kind of taking over this kind of role. You know what I mean? It's really interesting that you say that too because, you know, in as Zach Cassian has sort of disappeared or fallen away, you've the, the emergence of Jujar Kara has really been noticeable. We were talking about him last week as one of the players with a lot of successes. Like he's he's an outstanding player and, and you're right. He is sort of taking over that role and I think that there's those two things kind of go hand in hand. However, I think Jujar at his best <clears> – <throat> Is is could be a, maybe a third line player, and Cassian could be a third line player. So you could separate those two and have really two very dynamic lines okay. and tough lines. Um, Cassian just has to do his job too. I agree. I agree. I think Cassian at his best is a really good player. Like, and you're right. It would be a, like a third line player. Um, yeah. So speaking of successes, uh, who are your success? Who is your successful um, player? 
Besides Conor McDavid. Yeah. <laughs> Besides, like, our, the captain yeah. and then the, the greatest player in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, we should just have a standing item on the podcast. Yeah. Where, like, David is always the... Success yeah. besides Conor McDavid. So Conor McDavid had 13 million points this week. But I really want to talk about <laughs> Cam Talbot. Cam Talbot was great this yes, week. Yes, Cam Talbot was great. And I think we kind of... Did we put him on... Did we... we, we, did we maybe two I weeks back we were pretty hard on him. Yes, yes. We were we were pretty tough on him. So to to see him have a bounce back week, I mean, basically... Yeah, it was last week. Uh, the game they won four one um, against Minnesota. The first period it was tied zero zero, mostly because of Cam Talbot. He took a lot, he saw a lot of shots, and and was making some great saves. We saw that throughout the week. In fact, in the one one game, he kept it one nothing for a long time against the Islanders, and that's uh, so you know what, good on him. Like we said, it goes week to week. You can have one bad week and come back with something great, and that's exactly what Talbot's done. So right yeah. on him. All right, good for Cam Talbot, and I think a lot of people put. Um, Deservedly so, put the put the win on on Connor McDavid, and he did a, a lot, obviously. But Cam Talbot was right there, like like you mentioned against the Islanders, he was instrumental. Like if it wasn't for Cam Talbot, we would not have got that win. You know, Connor scored with a minute forty five left to play, uh, with a kind of a lucky bounce. But at the same time, like Cal- Talbot kept him into that game, and there's no way we would have got that win. Maybe two of those wins without him. Um, so he did a fantastic job against Minnesota and against the Islanders. Not so much against Arizona, but who cares? Like, I feel like we still got the win, and I think that's all that matters to him. But in those two games, you can see, yeah, like you mentioned before, like this was very much like old school, old school meaning last year, old school Oilers, um, where, you know, like I mentioned, I think a lot of people have been talking about it, that um, this Oilers team, that the one that's like, second last in the standings. This is not the real Oilers. This is not the real Oilers. And you no, can see that. No, you're right. Uh, but I do think, you know, there's a lot of things that need to be true in order for the Oilers to have success. But I think two constants is that Connor McNavid needs to be the team's best player, um, followed closely by Cam Talbot as number two mm-hmm. best player. Mm-hmm. Those two, you need the, the team needs those two to be playing at the their top peak ability yeah. uh, in order to have success in terms of, like, season to season. Yeah. And... You get games like the 4-1 win when that's the case, and you get seasons like the one we've had when that's not always the case. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, the person that I found successful um, was the return of Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and he had a pretty good couple of games. And uh, I'm so it, – it, it pained me to see Nugent hurt <laughs> yeah, because he was having a fantastic season in an insane year. Yeah, insane year. Yeah, he was leading the league, and I mean, he was leading the team in points, and he was leading the team um, in ice time, and he was just he was looking good everywhere. Um, but he came back and uh, played in a different line. I think he played dry saddle for a bit. Now he's on Connor's wing, uh, which is I think a really interesting place to put him, and he did very well against Minnesota. Um, Dave Staples has been calling for that for a long time, basically since the start of the season. You know, it was one of the few times where I agreed with David Staples. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that was that was a good move, and I think McClellan actually knew that too. He wanted to get Nuge up to game speed, and then he put him beside Connor, and it worked against Minnesota. He had two points against Minnesota. Um, He had that empty net goal, and he worked hard. He was he was very notably. Um, a good order. You know, there was a button hook that he pulled, sort of took the puck out of the corner and, you know, basically took the puck to the net and had a wicked shot mm-hmm. in that game. Uh, that was sort of one of the highlights, although it didn't, you know, it didn't lead to anything. Um, but that was, you know, that was the Nuge play. That was Nuge playing with confidence that yes. you haven't seen in a long time out of him. 
And uh, I'm confident Nuge is very good for the Edmonton Oilers moving forward. And like we said at the start, and it's why the team doesn't make it doesn't make any sense how the team is doing what they're doing. You have McDavid, Drysaddle, and Ryan Nugent Hopkins down the middle. That's a pretty deep and pretty skilled center group, and that's something that wins championships. I know, and you know, I've I've heard a couple from a couple of places as well that uh, I don't think Connor and Drysaddle like playing apart, and that's going to be a problem. I think they need to play apart. Um, for this to be successful, and uh, and maybe having new <clears throat> new on the wing until they find some competent wingers might be the might be the thing that works. But at the same time, like we, you're right, like going down the middle with three really good centers is would be dynamite. Well, would be think, dynamite. And just think about the cap, like, you know, in terms of the contract. That's twenty million dollars in two players on one line. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> you know, they can put them together when the team's down by one and need a go- late goal. Uh, but you, you need. I don't think it makes sense long term for the Amazon list to be playing those two. Together. Look at Malcolm Crosby. Yeah, like there's many players. There's many teams that like that. Right? It just it doesn't make sense. Um, speaking of uh, people that are coming back and had some really good uh, successes, we're doing going to the news and noteworthy segment of our <coughs> podcast. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Milan Lucic. Oh, what a goal! Finally, thirty-one <laughs> games. He's finally got a goal. Jeez, you could tell, like, and he's, it's, he it's really... not for, like, lack of trying and not for lack of opportunities, particularly in this last little bit here. Like, yeah. that one game where he hit, like, the two posts and mm-hmm. then just, like, couldn't get it in. You just sit there, like, oh, or he gets set up beautifully and misses the net or some goalie. Anyway, it's, it wasn't it fitting that it's, like, a slap shot from, like, 30 feet out that the goalie should have had. That, 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 that gets him <laughs> off the schneid, right? It's a ridiculous garbage like, goal. so he... funny. <laughs> hey, whatever works, whatever works, right? So, um... I don't know about putting Lucic still on that first line, but at the same time, you know you got that goal, Lucic. So hopefully, hopefully you are up going up for now. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Moving on. It's a good point. <laughs> Speaking of Nuge, he scored his three hundredth point um, in league. He's only twenty four years old. Dude. It's crazy to yeah. think like he's this is seven or seven years in the seven league? years. Seven years in the league. He's twenty four years old. And 300 points. Hey, good on him. And I think, you know, we talked about him a little bit before, so there's not much left to say. But playing with confidence, uh, that's really exciting for the next couple of years if Ryan Nugent Hopkins can continue to play with confidence. And the other thing that I will say, too, is that he was challenged. And McClellan and Shirelli were pretty open with him last year about needing to find offense. And he's went out and he's found offense. So that's really exciting. Yeah, it was. And you're right. They did challenge him, um, <clears throat> especially during the playoffs. I, You know, like... I really got a lot of the flack in the playoffs last year, uh, but Nugent Hopkins didn't score any points in the playoffs either. But the thing with the difference between Everly and Nuge, which was noticeable, and I'm not this is not a knock on Everly, but Nuge, you can see that his he had a lot of opportunities to score, and he um, he worked hard for a lot of those. The, the, that position and new just killing penalties he was you know at least somewhat winning face-offs he's pretty good at that too yeah so there's other he's got other value things whereas you know jordan everly wasn't engaging in the corner so. yeah exactly <laughs> um so oscar clefbaum we should have a talk about this uh oscar clefbaum um notice noticeably in the lineup but a lot of people have mentioned that he is playing hurt so now he's out uh, for a couple of days to have a procedure to see if it's 
possible for, for to shut him down for the rest of the season. Yeah, I guess this is a procedure to see if he's going to need another procedure. That was basically how it was described to me. So, uh. so uh, where do you want to start on this? I mean, uh. I, I think I think I guess we've known he's been hurt all year. The Oilers were in trouble in terms of death depth on defense from the yep. beginning of the year. Really showed on the team that Sekro was out and Clefbaum was not playing well. And it was it's a big indication as to why the Oilers have had the season that they had, particularly the start that they had. So I understand in some ways making a player play hurt. But then he Do was, you though? Well, that, hold on. Hold okay, on. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but then Sekra comes back. They pull him out of the lineup because he's actually hurt and they want to rest mm-hmm. that, get that situation under control. He does, but he doesn't. So now he's back in the lineup. And he's been back in the lineup until what? This is like the third week of March. And now we're looking at... And now we're looking at maybe shutting him down for the year now, like 60 games in. This team wasn't making the playoffs. We knew in, in the middle of January. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I didn't accept it until February. But, <laughs> but you know, like... That's your own personal you know, <laughs> you know, from the All-Star game, if this is something serious, then why is he still playing? Why has he been playing for as long as he has? And what is the injury? Maybe that's... that The, the issue with always speculating on this stuff and getting mad... Mm-hmm. It, and I get where you're coming from. I can see it on the look on your face around this 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 topic. And and I get it. Is he just never really know exactly what's going on? Yeah, too. that's true. It, it, it is speculation. A lot of people are speculating. You know, Ellie Freeman uh, famously said on his podcast that they were showcasing him. Um, that's the reason of what they were why they were playing. Oh, he him. said that. I didn't hear that. Yeah, he uh, he mentioned that the Oilers are trying they they feel like he's they're trying to showcase him so he could be traded later on so to other people but at the same time i'm like that doesn't make any sense to me in my head i'm like why would you showcase somebody who's playing hurt and who's obviously not playing well and also like you know that it's not gonna be good value you know what clefbaum can do other teams know what clefbaum can do just Get him to get him at full health, like and showcase him for what? Like, what? What are they? What are they looking to achieve? Like, unless you're getting a defenseman back, like it's really tough. And who's going to trade? I don't know. Like, I know, I know. It doesn't make any sense either to me. Like, I, I, I think the Oilers should be able to keep Clefbaum, but at the same time, like, I, I can see some moves being made in the off season. I think Clefbaum is one of those. Is either Clefbaum or Nuge one of the people that you know, like you're trading high, right? Um, but yeah. at the same time, like. I don't know. This whole thing just just stinks. To so me. here is a thought. Oscar Clefbaum has been tagged somewhat, mm-hmm. could be tagged somewhat as "quote unquote" injury prone. A term that I hate. Yeah. That I know you hate. Look at your face. You're doing that. You're doing that thing <laughs> know, with your face like, again. Your uh, hair is literally on fire right now. <laughs> it's just like um, the, this reminds me of the Hemsky thing. So is this is this that? Is this an indication of that? Like they're trying to get him to play so that they're showcasing him in the sense that he's not injury prone or something. Like, is that dictating this kind of conversation? Maybe, is that a piece of this? I you may be right. Like, and I could see hockey minds doing this, but it's just like to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And I that's the thing is, is I'm like. I know I'm not the only one, and I know that there's people on the Oilers that think the same thing, and they're still doing this. It's like I know that Tom McClellan, for instance, is probably in his mind we should shut him down, but I don't know why there's I don't know where the frig is this coming from. You know what I mean? I know, I know. <laughs> so I hope, to be honest, they should have shut down Clefbaum a long time ago. I hope he's shut down right now. It's the like we're almost at the end of the season. I think we only have like three or four weeks left. Um, just shut him down. Just get him healthy. Like, like uh, McDonough was traded, and he was injured while he was traded too. 
like it can happen if you need to trade Clefbaum. I still don't think you should trade Clefbaum, but if you do need to trade him, it's okay if he's injured, especially if it's the off season. Like just shut yeah, him down. That's a, I feel the same way too. Yeah. Like why would you? You're only just potentially endangering the player and other stuff too. So I, yeah, I'm with you on that. Well, we're gonna talk about Clefbaum later on. I'm sure oh, in yeah. the other in the coming weeks. Um, speaking of Elliot Freeman, your other friend Elliot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was speculating Eight that letters in a name. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> He was speculating that uh, Paul Coffey is being touted as um, maybe, maybe a replacement for Tom McClellan. How do you feel about this? I don't know, man. It's just that it's that sort of – this is the the, Oilers, the old boys club Oilers. Yeah, you know, yeah we talked take. about this before. Yeah, we yeah, talked yeah. about this before. And, I, you know, does Coffey have the experience? Like nope. there's so many guys that come through the AHL and yep. do like it the right way. Uh, I get Dallas Eakins didn't work out, but you know what? Those are the, like, there's good co- coaches out there. And why get rid of Todd McClellan? I know. I don't, I don't understand that. I, I don't. I, I really don't. I understand the team's had a tough year, but I think that, you know, it's, it's for me, Todd McClellan's the best coach that's available if you fire him. So I agree. there's times when that makes sense because you know, so you, he's so, lost the room or something like that. And that, right. but I believe that. But that's not that's not what this team needs right now. Like, so, do you think if like a good coach has become available, for instance, like a Joel Clownbill or Barry Trotz, you would you do that switch? You think like Quenville? Yeah, Quenville's but, maybe the only one I would think about. Yeah, because he's played, he's coached superstars for however long in, yep. in Chicago, right? And so, guys, you know, he knows how to handle. Guys like Drysaddle and, and McDavid, and, but also build winning championship teams. Right. So you could think about that because what he has over McClellan is Stanley Cup. Yeah, right for sure. But for sure. even still, like you would have the team would have to be having a similar season to this one next year, and it'd be like Christmas before I'd even consider it. Fair enough. Fair enough. And I know what you, then your response is, well, Quen- Quenville's going to go somewhere pretty over in the offseason oh, if he goes, right? If he, <clears throat> if, if Chicago does the dumb thing and fire because I think it would be dumb, then fire him. Um, he's going to get picked up right away. Yeah. It's, it's, right it's, away. it's not like it's going to be quick. And you know, every there's going to be a lot of teams that are looking at their coach. And it'll seeing, be like the Babcock thing again. Yeah. It'll be like the Babcock thing again. Yeah. Yeah. I And I would be more – I agree with you with but McClellan not being fired. I think – I think there needs to be a change in some weird, like maybe assistant coaches maybe need to change it out because I, like that power play and well, that power penalty play king penalty is kill, like yeah. is re- atrocious this year and I don't know what happened but at the same time I don't I I'm still with Tom McClellan I'm not with Petrelli but I'm with McClellan right now um, so I don't mind if he stays um, and also yeah I, I, the Paul Coffey thing really kind of bugs me. You're right. It stinks of the old boys club thing. And it stinks of like the old Oilers stuff. There's a lot of good coaches waiting in the wings and not just in the, in the AHL, but there's like in college in other places that um, have experience and have and the, the need that opening man. And that's the Oilers would be a great place to open that. But at the same time, like, I don't know. It just seems weird to me. You're not with Shirley. I'm not with Shirley. Shrelly, that out. sounds like a conversation for another. Episode. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll get it when we, when the playoff comes. Um, Jordan Everly, <clears throat> he returned with um, against the New York Islanders. He scored in the shootout. Um, had some. He got stoned in overtime by Cam yeah, Calvin. He did. Um, <clears throat> but 
How do you feel about Jordan Everly coming back? So you were right. Applause. Lots of mm-hmm. you know respect for for Jordan Everly, and I, I kind of like that too. I think that's a lot of that has to do with you know the others had a tough year, and a lot of people point to needing scoring wingers and Everly not being there. Um, and fair enough. That's neither here nor there. Yeah, I think it's nice. You know, it's always the organization always does a really good job. I think at at, at doing tributes and and giving fans an opportunity to show former players how much they appreciated their time there. And, right. and so, yeah, good. Move on with it and then play the game. You did see there was one play where he def- like did this weird deflection thing through his legs to get a shot on. Yes, him. and I just I remember sitting there and being like. Oh yeah, I forgot how talented like Jordan is really good. actually. Like, he's like insanely talented. He's yes. got he's got lots of de- deficiencies and other things that, you know, made him struggle uh, towards the end of his time here. But his hands and those sorts of plays, those t- really like t- plays are really sensational. I and Jordan Everly is a really good player. You're right. He does have some problems, but at the same time like <clears throat> he is a he is a really good player, and you saw it many times during the Islander game. And you, you're right; you like you forget about how good he was. Um, and like we mentioned before last week, he was an in- instrumental player uh, again in the in that decade of darkness that we had. Um, and he was always good. He was always good for the community. He was always good for the Oilers. Um, you know, he had that terrible playoff, but at the same time, like in general, overall, he was a, he was a really good person. So um, good on the Oilers fans to applaud Jordan Everly. Um, and also big applause for, uh, for the Connor. Good job, Connor. What did I say 30 million po- points in like three <laughs> games or something like that? Like just ridiculous, eh? Oh, it's boy. like they only get two goals against New-, New York and he's in, like, he's in on both of them basically. Like, and they're not like, they're, they're amazing goals. <laughs> like, but we said this last week too. Like the crazy thing is, I guess he's just decided that if the team's not going to make the playoffs, then he's just going to have to win the scoring championship. Like that's. But it, you know what I really like about it too, is this is two years in a row now where Connor McDavid's gotten better throughout the year. I know, and it's interesting to see that because he starts off the year great, like he's a great player. But it's good to know if we're in a tight push for a playoffs or maybe home ice advantage or something like that. You know, our best player is going to be pushing it and getting better every game. He's competitive, the end. and he's, he's competitive. competitive. He's super competitive. Like you, um, they asked him. It's funny because he's he, he's got like Crosby syndrome where he doesn't like to talk about himself. Um, but he, I think someone asked him after the game, after the Minnesota game, they're like, "Did you do you notice like what's going on in the Art Ross race?" He's like, "Well, you know, uh, you, you know, like I just root for the team, like I appreciate winning, but like, yeah, I I do, I do, know, I know what's going on, I know what's going yeah, on yeah, in the Art yeah, Ross." Yeah, yeah. He's like, <clears throat> "Did you know that like you're seven points behind Kucherov now you're four points back like yeah I have a, a good idea about that I'm like yeah of course <laughs> yeah, you do Connor you're, yeah <laughs> you're just like staring at it every day yeah. <laughs> before you go to bed like if he said no I was like nah I don't really so he's like got that. 84 right now 84. Kucherov's got 87 so you've got to think there's quite a few games left 16 games yeah, left. 16 games so left. those guys are both going to break the century yeah Connor's going to have more than 100 points which is the craziest thing we will have a player that's 100 points last year. It's going to be more than 100 points this year. And I just it, it, it drives me nuts that we didn't make the playoffs this year. I'm just like, not even just like, you're being close to the playoffs. It's just, whatever. That's neither here nor right now. But <laughs> Insanity. Insanity. Anyways, uh, on our next big topic, we're going to talk about, uh, quote unquote, cancer in the locker room. Stay tuned for that. 
Herman. Yes. You're a cancer in the dressing room of this podcast. I'm going to have to trade you. <laughs> attitude problem? You have an attitude problem. You're going to trade me for Louis Erickson in the first. Yeah. And he's, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> whoa, deep. That's deep sweet. cuts. Um, so this is the topic that I hate. But mm. it comes up so much in hockey and is mm-hmm. incredibly frustrating. It's the idea that a player, an individual, um, is so such a meanie, is such a terrible person, terrible human being, that it's affecting the entire performance of the locker room. And therefore, that's why they got traded. Mm. Generally, it's media speculation. Very rarely does a team ever acknowledge that. Very rarely does ever a t- player acknowledge that. Right. And it's sort of – sometimes it's done in a way that implies like – the reporter was told something by an, uh, someone else, but very, very o- when, but very often that's not the case. And I think that, you know the perfect example, the one that we can point to here in Edmonton was Taylor Hall, and that was something that was you know, and I, you know, give a shout out to Jason Greger who did a really good job of shutting down any kind of conversation around Taylor Hall as being a bad teammate or bad in the dressing room, uh, and the NHL organization or the Oilers organization in general. Um, but those conversations still persist. Still to this day, people want to take shots at how Taylor Hall acted as an individual. Two years after and we see that, and we crazy. saw it again with Evander Kane yep. going to San Jose this week, and uh, and just what, what, what we see it every once in a while, where a player gets a bit of a reputation in the media, and then anytime that player moves or gets traded, or things aren't going well for a team, it's because so and so is a cancer in the dressing room. And it's usually unjustified, and it's yeah. usually just media sort Growing of, up. yeah, crap. Yeah. And it gets fans worked up. It gets fans against players. Like, it contributed to, I think, the way that Taylor Hall was treated sometimes in the general public, but also just in, you know, the media too. Right, right. And it's interesting with Taylor Hall specifically because um, he was such a talented player on the ice. And uh, he – it was used as like a – Excuse me. It was used as like a, an excuse for the fans, anyways, to say that he is a person that needs to be traded because of the character of the room. And I'm always against like the character of the room because it, to me it doesn't make sense. Like, like, and we talked about this before. Like, if you go into um, any type of setting and you remove one person from the setting, that's the quote unquote cancer of the room. It doesn't mean that you take away the, the disease or whatever it is. Like, the, for the Oilers, if there was some sort of cancer or whatever, it was a industry problem, right? It was a team problem. Oh, like problem. the entire organization? Exactly. Systemic. It was ex- that's a better word. Yeah. Um, so to blame it on Taylor Hall would be ridiculous. And I have heard those stories, and I have heard those stories before from other people. But at the same time, I'm like, those are still stories. And also there's a still, like, I don't. I don't know if I believe it totally. You know what I mean? No, and I think that a lot of that is informed by uh, perceptions of players when seeing them out at clubs or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Remember, that's like, the thing. Both Jordan Everly and, and 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 Taylor Hall, and to an extent Ryan Nugent Hopkins as well. Uh, like they grew up and they went from kids to men mm-hmm. here in the city, and so they were seen at clubs or at, out doing things and maybe seeming a little bit inappropriate rowdy or whatever or rowdy whatever. Yeah. and and that rubs people the wrong way and then that i find those conversations so often get turned into this cancer in the dressing the oilers are losing because taylor hall is a cancer in the dressing that's room. the problem and yeah. i think and and when we get we get into this basically every time the edmonton oilers are having a 
bad season, and we've, we're used to it. Like 10 of the last 11 have been yeah. kind of bad. <laughs> um, there's a conversation around dressing room politics and what's <clears> going on in the dressing room. Who's keeping things yeah. in line, or why is that? Who's the cancer? And, yeah. and I think it's, you know, we talked about this too. It's like you can go into very successful organizations and recognize a terrible work culture, and you can go into organizations that are not doing well. And this is like in any business, yeah. And have a great and see a great work culture. It's not one is not necessarily dependent on the other. And I think this gets overblown. But I really specifically going after one player is really bothersome. It is bothersome. And you know, you mentioned um, Vander Kane, and Vander Kane was a person that you know, like we had those stories about, like the tracksuit, like Dustin Bufflin throwing the tracksuit, Vander Kane's tracksuit in Winnipeg, and um, and I think there is something that to say about um you know the the way a person behaves in the outward to the towards the media that's quote unquote different than most other people um evander kane i think suffered from that but at the same time i'm like it it, it became to a point where it's like it was too much like like I think the story preceded the person all the time. Like, yes, there was a problem with the Dustin Bufflin thing, but that was one part of Evander Kane's story. And like, all of a sudden he gets pegged as this troublemaker and he gets pegged as these other things. And I know that with Evander Kane specifically, there was other things, but if we're talking about people like Taylor Hall, for instance, like Taylor Hall, like in the dressing room. Yeah, there was, I heard again, all rumors and speculations. I heard that there was these things, but at the same time, these it was it was that system of culture that was there already. Like they brought in people like like Andrew Ferrance, for instance, who was a good person in general, but he didn't quote unquote fix anything. And he like there was Sheldon Surrey, for instance, that came in. Um, you know, we picked up people in this and with this team, like we picked up Milan Lucic, uh, who is a quote unquote winner. He's a Stanley Cup winner, right? Like he's going to bring in the winning culture to think. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Now, now Lucic is like in a doghouse again. Like it doesn't make any sense. That whole like, like we're going to bring in some winners and they're going to change the culture. And like Bob Nicholson said that too in his last interview. We're going to bring in this culture, this winning culture. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. You know what makes a good culture winning is winning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> build totally. a good team, getting experience, and, and everybody wins and everybody's happy, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that there is a part of this that's. I, I think as an organization, you can build a culture around competitiveness and want and ex- expectation of growth and opportunities to grow, but you know, be, a merit based sort of this is uber capitalist, but like a merit based <laughs> uh, uh, hockey organization, and and that can run, but that, that and that can run from the president straight through to. Uh, the junior trainers, mm-hmm. um, and that's creating a, a, a quote-unquote winning culture. I don't think that you just have a winning culture in a dressing room. There's, no. there's so much more to it. But when you go after individuals and use them to scapegoat the entire success of the team, it it just elevates them to a place that they shouldn't – like doesn't belong in, – in that, that doesn't belong and in a way that, 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 that shouldn't be done. It's yeah. And – all it does, and this happens a lot in Edmonton, and, and it bothers me, and it's one of the reasons why I know why we started the show is because those conversations and the, the, that way of speaking really has undermined our team for a long time. We don't have a Justin Schultz on our team anymore because right. of this. Arguably, Taylor Hall and Jordan Everly are both gone because of similar statements and people losing their minds about yep. uh, the, their play on the ice, right? Yep. And all of that comes back to basically a made-up rumor that Taylor Hall was pissing everyone off in the dressing, and that just does, that doesn't jive. And yeah. Bob Stoffer said, shot it down. 
Jason Greger shot it down. The organization shot it down. And more nine times out of ten, you know, when Taylor Hall is talking about his time in Edmonton, it's like they talk about how it's like a difficult place to play because there's lots of expectation on the team. That's just coded language for like people who just make up bullshit about me. Yeah, totally. And you know what's funny? The last two impressions I have of Taylor Hall have been really positive ones. The the second last one was the one where uh, it was Connor's rookie year. Um, he came back. He had a fantastic comeback to that injury. And they asked them. That was the the year where you don't have any cap any captaincy. And Taylor Hall had the A. Um, so they asked Taylor, they're like, you know, like, who do you think should be the captain this year? And he specifically mentioned Connor McDavid. He's like, this young kid is ready to lead. He's been leading through us before. Um, that's a very humbling thing to do. I don't know if there's if that was said before in in the back room to say, like, you know, Connor's going to get the captain. No, I forgot about that. But at the same time, to say that in public, in the end, like, at the end of the season, to say, you know what, I think he deserves to see. And my last memory of Taylor Hall as an oiler was when he got traded and he was upset that he got traded. He wanted to be part of an, of an organization. He wanted to he wanted to see it through. Like he felt that there was unfinished business in Edmonton. He wanted to be part of that team. He was upset that he got traded, not for the fact that he got traded, but the fact that he wanted to stay in Edmonton. Like what more do you want from him? Like yeah. do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's so true. It's so true. And I, I thank you for saying that and reminding me of that cuz there there was a lot of class act by Taylor Hall towards the end of his time here. It, one was with the captaincy, but also just the way that he left. And I remember Peter Shirley saying that. Taylor was mad. He didn't think that this made a lot of sense. He wanted to be part of this, uh, uh, the solution here. Um, anyway, so nine times out of ten, I think that those that those characterizations and generalizations are wrong. You, you mentioned Evander Kane. We've kind of been touching back and going back and forth between him and, and Taylor Hall. I mean, what about Bufflin for throwing the tracksuit yep. in the in the showers yep. too? Totally. You know? But you know why? Because media guys, and I think it was Elliot Friedman specifically. And you know, he has good days and bad days, like all of us. Um, said basically made that's how you deal with things in the dressing room, and that should have stayed in the dressing room, and that's how you deal with things. It was probably Nick Caprios. That sounds like a Kipper. Yeah, I'm like that sounds yeah, more of a Nick Caprios. Yeah, Nick Caprios is probably saying something like that. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry, Elliot Friedman. I'll find another way. <laughs> he was increasing your rivalry. Yeah, but it was. <laughs> Yeah, the second biggest uh, sports personality <laughs> named Elliot. Me and then Elliot Friedman. Uh, so, so, it, but yeah, it, it, there I was agree. this like conversation around. Well, that's how you do it. If someone's acting up like that, that kind of thing does doesn't happen unless there's bigger issues there. Right. And which is basically like giving Bufflin cover and, and you know basically pointing the the blame back at Evander Kane. And it's led to basically a reputation that precedes Evander Kane wherever he goes. Yeah. Um, I really liked how. They made such a big deal. Joe Thornton made such a big deal of welcoming Evander Kane to the team and yeah. like, be part of this. And we're yeah. happy to have you here. I think he showed up in a limo, right? Mm-hmm. Picked him up at the airport. Because um, I, I, I saw that because I think the, then the next game was against the Edmonton Oilers. Yes. So it was like a big thing for that. And I maybe would have missed that otherwise. But I think that that's important too. That's players kind of showing solidarity and, and giving an indication like, look, like we know you. We actually know you and we know what's said about you. And that's not fair. Yeah. So welcome here. Yeah. yeah. We are welcome in our team. Totally. And, the, you know, and, the, and I think some organizations do take um, – they should deserve this, some of this fault too because they don't – sometimes they don't protect those players, right? Like or they trade them off. Like, and, you know, Pichirelli's famous for trading off Tyler Sagan for attitude problems. Um and that was a mistake. Like, I would say the same thing around, like, Phil Kessel. And Phil Kessel, when he got traded from well, Toronto. Phil Kessel's a great example. And he was <clears throat> he was a person that got maligned 
uh, with a, for the Leafs. And look at him now. He's a double Stanley Cup winner. Like, what more you can ask from Phil Kessel? Um, and not only that, like, the, you, you could say the same thing about P.K. Subban's time in Montreal. Um, he still is going goes through that through Montreal. Like, the last game he, he played with Montreal, you know, um, <clears throat> I think it was Brendan Gallagher who was talking bad about, about P.K. Subban. He's like, he just wants the attention, blah, 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 blah. Dude, like, I think... The problem as well, too, with, with specifically with hockey culture is that we need to be open more to different types of personalities. We need to be open a little oh, bit more. Oh, that's a huge piece of this. That's mm-hmm. a huge piece because you need to either treat like the media like Connor McDavid or you're too big of a personality. In a exactly. Player. Exactly. And I think I, – I, hopefully it's coming out a little bit more. Like I think we definitely need more some help with that. But if we need a little bit more P.K. Subans to kind of understand it, there are some people that act in a different way. Like, I mean, Neil Yakupov got, got – some people loved it, but then he got crucified about his celebration, like the the, the famous celebration. Yeah, I'll never forget that. And yeah, he was. There's another player that just got demonized for like being having a little bit too much personality, and it's sad. And sometimes that comes across in a way that uh, they get called, uh, you know, in it for themselves or, mm-hmm. or or whatever. And sometimes it manifests itself in this cancer in the dressing room culture and i think right. that that's really frustrating right and it's and it's interesting when you see that like with the people saying like putting or they're putting he's putting his name in front of the of, of the team chest like you know like i again no knock to this player but like wayne gretzky would always wear like little turtlenecks with his name on it and he would you know he had little specific things but no one knocked wayne gretzky because he is he was above hockey at that time, and no one's going to knock him down for that. Yo, Connor McDavid needs some turtlenecks with just like 87 McDavid on them. Oh, you got to get his number right first. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I got him mixed up with, with, with Crosby there. Yeah. With Crosby. He's man. Yeah, man. You got to give some All right. Uh, so <laughs> we made it to episode 10. I'm out. Uh, Next awesome. week, Herman will have a new co host. <laughs> Actually, know something about hockey. Cut his mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, this is good, and I think this is a. I think this is a can be a continuous conversation too, because I feel like this topic is going to come up again and again and again for some this, for some people. Um, you know, we almost saw it this year with the with the Leon Drysaddle Darnell Nurse incident, um, and what happened there. Anytime alleged, incident. alleged exactly. We don't know. Um, this. It's always going to happen with a team that's losing. So we're going to hear these things. And until the Oilers come back to winning, it's funny. Last year, no stories. Guess what? They're winning. That's no stories. No, happen. All the stories were like, look at the importance Lucic has played. Exactly. He's the leader in the team. Exactly. He's turned the day. He's, he's exactly. dated the winning culture. It's what well, helps winning culture is winning. <laughs> so hopefully we can do that. And, uh, this is good. This is a good start, Elliot. I, I like this topic Absolutely. a lot. Absolutely. I think it's good. Well, we've already kind of had two similar conversations around this kind of thing. And they're all connected. Yeah. But that specifically really bothers me. Yeah, totally. As an Oilers fan, it bothers me. Yeah. And that's uh, good. We're, we're sticking up to Taylor Hall. And you know what? He's having a heart, heart uh, trophy-led um, season this year. And good for Taylor. He's uh, he, he needs a little bit of success in his hockey career, especially around his team. So good for him. What do you think about the, the poll question should be this week? Poll question was, uh, hmm, that's a good question. Maybe, like, should it be around Taylor Hall or should it be around the cancer in the locker room type thing? I think it's probably cancer in the locker room. Do you think that the NHL allows for different types of personalities? Or do you think that when people say cancer in the locker room, is it is it a dog whistle? <laughs> a dog whistle. They're, they're doing, playing dog whistle politics. Yeah. 
I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Think we'll about it. it. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. Um, but we do want to hear your feedback. We do want to hear what you guys are thinking about uh, when you hear um, this episode or when you hear everybody else, um, you know, talk about Taylor Hall or anybody else. Uh, let us know. Um, you can hit us up on Twitter at 104pod. So that's one and the letter O for P-O-D. Um, you can find it's us there. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Most people think it's time for Don Cherry to retire, by the way. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> love love all that, you people. But that race is a little closer than I think we want. <sighs> it's all good. So you know what? Majority wins. It's all good. This vote is not, this is not our, first past the post. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Vote in our Twitter poll. Yeah, vote in our Twitter poll. Um, Elliot, anything else? I think that's it. All right, guys, have a wonderful week. Guys and gals, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time on 104 Podcast.